If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. Luke chapter 9 and verse 12. And today we're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. Now this is a very significant miracle that Jesus does. Of course, all of His significant. But I say it's extra significant because there are only two miracles of all the miracles that Jesus did. There are only two that are recorded in all four Gospels. Of course, there are several uh, incidents from his life that are recorded in all four Gospels. There are different teachings that are recorded in all four, but there are only two miracles in all of Scripture. One of them is the resurrection from the dead. The other is the feeding of the 5,000, which uh, obviously is, uh, it made an indelible mark in the minds of all the disciples. And it's something the Spirit inspired the Gospel writers to record. Now, um, what I, what I want us to do is I want us to look at this text, work our way through it, and the, it naturally breaks down into three parts. And, and just to kind of lay out a road map of, of where we're going. First, I'm, I want you to see the place where this miracle occurred. Second, I want you to see the, the, the provisions they had were inadequate. And finally, I want you to see the profuseness of the, abund, of, uh, the, the abundance, the extravagance of the supply that Jesus wrought. Okay, so we've got the, the, the place, the provisions... And the profuseness. So if you, if you found Luke chapter 9, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word if you're able. We're going to pick up in verse 22 and read down to verse, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 12, sorry, and read down to verse 22. It says, Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside, and find lodging and get something to eat, for we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to the disciples, Have them sit down to eat, to eat in groups of about fifty each. They did so and had them all sit down. When he took, then he took the, the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them, and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And then they all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which had been left over, were picked up, 12 basketfuls. Actually, we're going to stop there in verse 17. Okay, if uh, you may be seated. <clears throat> now, the first thing I want you to see in our text today is the place where this miracle occurred. The place where the miracle occurred. Now, remember uh, where we are in our study. Last week, we looked at Jesus send out the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. He sent them out on a short-term missionary trip, sent them out in pairs, and they returned. Now, you remember, they went out, they, they cast out demons, they healed the sick, but most importantly, the Bible says they preached, they proclaimed the kingdom of God and, and, and the, the necessity of, re, of repentance and faith in order to enter that kingdom. So they come back and they tell Jesus all that's taken place, and Jesus says, come away for a little while and rest. And he takes them off to a desolate place, but the crowds would have none of it. And so the crowds go out and they begin to follow these, these, uh, these apostles. They begin to follow Jesus. And remember, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus ran them off and said, you know, just get out of here. I, we just need a little while. Just give, us, just give us the evening and let us rest. But instead, the Bible says that he welcomed them and began to preach the kingdom of God to them and heal them and cast out demons for them as well. So then in verse 12, it's the same day. In verse 12... It's evening. It's, it's getting late. It's going to be dark soon. And the problem is all these people have been following Jesus all day. And now it's getting late and they're going to need some food to eat. They're going to need some place to stay. Now, they didn't have enough food for a crowd this size. And if, if you look at verse 12, 
it says that they were in a desolate place. What that means in plain English is they weren't near a Walmart. What that means is they couldn't go to a Costco and, and buy bulk food. They couldn't go to a Piggly Wiggly. They didn't, here's how desolate it was. They didn't even have a Dollar General nearby. And I mean, there's a Dollar General even in the wasteland of Halltown. But they were in a desolate place. They didn't have anything around. There, there were surrounding villages and, and towns, but they weren't nearby. And so they, they weren't near enough to go and, and quickly and easily get those provisions. There were no vineyards around. There were no standing crops around that they could get any food from. They were out in the middle of nowhere. And so the disciples, they were caring and comforting sensitive men. And so their response, Jesus says, we need to give them some food. And their response is, send them off. Tell them best of luck to you. Hope, hope, hope you find some place to eat. Send them out and say, I hope you don't faint on the way, but you, 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 you don't have to stay here. But well, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just get out. You just need to leave. Now, Jesus had other plans. He said to the disciples, no, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, of course, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He didn't tell the disciples what he was going to do. They didn't know what he, was, what he was all about. But he said, you give them something to eat. So they're in a bad spot. They don't have the resources from their environment with which to take care of all these people. They had a big need, and they didn't have the resources. They were in a desolate spot, a desolate place. The next thing I want you to see, then, is the inadequate provisions they had. Their provisions were inadequate. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they say, but we only have five loaves and two fish. Now, we know from another gospel writer that this was just a kid's meal, his lunch. And understand, when it says that they had two fish... These are not 100-pound spoonbills. Okay, they're not saying, hey, you know what? We have five loaves, but we have these big fish. We can have us a fish fry, and we can have the people come. We, we can't give them a lot, but we can give them, some, we can give them a couple of fillets. We, I don't know, maybe we can come up with some way to, to bread them or something, and we'll feed them that way. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, we don't have enough to feed all these people. And these loaves are not like the big French loaves. I mean, these are not two-foot-long uh, loaves of bread. They're not even as big. That's what you get in the store to make a sandwich with. As I said before, another gospel writer records that this is the lunch of a child. So it's not a big lunch. And this bread, if it was leavened bread, if it had yeast added to it, it probably was not much bigger than a dinner roll or a biscuit. And if it was unleavened bread, it would have been about the size and shape of like pita bread, if you go to like the deli at Walmart, you know, eight or ten inch round circle, but it's real flat. So not a lot of food at their disposal. So how do you take that, and how, how many people does the Bible say was, was there? 5,000 men. 5,000 men. That doesn't count the women and children. So the total crowd size could easily have been in the ten to 15,000 person range. Now, to me, I, I, think, of, I think of that, and, and it's like, okay, that's a big number. Here's to put it into perspective. According to the 2021 census uh, numbers, Mount Vernon had a population of 4,526 people. So I want, you to, I want you to think, you have all of Mount Vernon, all the people have emptied the homes, all the people have come out of the stores, they're assembled, then plus everybody that lives in Halltown have come together in one place, they're looking at you, and you have 
five loaves and two fish. The town of Bolivar, city of Bolivar, is reported the same place to have had uh, to have 11,099 people. So we're, I'm just trying to give you a perspective. Let's imagine that the crowd was closer to 15,000, which it very easily could have been. You're a disciple, and I want you to, to, to actually try and envision this. To put this into perspective, all the men, women, and children, you have the populations of Pleasant Hope, Verona, Miller, Golden City, Willard, Aurora, and Marionville, all come together. According to the, the numbers that I saw, as they were reported on worldpopulationreview.com, all those people, Pleasant Hope, Verona, Miller, Golden City, Willard, Aurora, and Marionville, all come together, that would be 14,615 people. So imagine all those people are standing before you, and you have two, three, we'll say five, filet of fish sandwiches. And Jesus looks at you and says, you feed them with what you got. Their provisions were inadequate. They had a huge need, and their supply was not huge. Do you see why this made such an impact on the disciples? Now, what they were going to learn, and it's the same thing we need to learn, is that what's impossible for us is not impossible with God. What's impossible for us is not impossible with God. I mean, a person hasn't, doesn't have to be a rocket scientist to look and say, you know what, five loaves and two fish, even, we'll just say, even to feed all of Mount Vernon, which is less than 5,000 people. It doesn't take a rock scientist to figure out that is not going to feed all those people. Now, we've even had times when we've had a potluck here at church. There were a few more people than what we anticipated, and we start sweating it and praying that God's going to multiply the loaves and fishes, don't we? I mean, but, so you just, you just imagine that's with a lot of people bringing crock pots of stuff, and just the number of people that can fit here, just think about the magnitude of this miracle. But there's no indication in this that Jesus was, was struggling any. He didn't sweat it. He didn't take counsel. He didn't say, oh, you know what, Peter? I, I'm not sure what we're going to do. How are we going to figure this out? Philip, are you sure that's all? I mean, you're the bean counter of the group. Are you sure you can only find one, one kid that has food? Just five loaves and two fish? He's not worried because the impossible becomes possible with God. Now, those of us who have been believers for a time, we have no doubt seen this truth. We have seen God act in miraculous ways. Now, I'm not saying that he's part of the waters. Sometimes we, we drive around at, at Christmas time, and we're getting to the store, and, and the, the, the parking lot's packed, and there's a spot that opens up right near the door. We think that's a miracle. That's not a miracle. I mean... Something, a, a medical condition where there's a tumor, for instance, and the next time it goes in, as a person goes in, there's nothing there. That's a miracle. I'm talking about a real act of God. And so, so we've seen that. We've seen God soften the heart of stone and, and bring salvation to a person. We've seen God soften our hearts and bring salvation. That's an act of God. We didn't do it ourselves. We've, we, we've seen God work and, and answer prayers and heal a broken body. We've seen, we've seen relationships restored. We've seen those things. And yet, how often do we forget that God is able? This, this account reminds us 
that He's more than able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or even think. No doubt these disciples, as they looked at this crowd of no less than 5,000, maybe upwards of 15,000, no, no doubt when they looked at that, they looked at you know, a couple of sandwiches, there was no way that they thought that they would be able to feed all those people. And yet Jesus did that very thing. So we've seen the place where they were. They were in a, a desolate place. We've seen the provisions they had were inadequate. And finally, I want you to see the profuse supply that Jesus brought about. Jesus tells the people through the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 on the green grass. That's a little detail from another gospel. I think it's Mark. And you may have wondered, sometimes I think of the oddest questions, well, how do they know there are 5,000 people? Well, it doesn't take, again, it doesn't take a, a, a math genius when you have people sit down in groups of 50 to do the simple math. And so, so notice how orderly this is. It's not a free-for-all. It's not a circus. It was done in an orderly fashion. But I want you to see next that it, it was not only orderly, it was blessed. Because it says the Bible, the, the Bible says Jesus took the food, he looked to heaven, he, he blessed it, and then he gave it. Now, he's acknowledging in doing this, when he looks to heaven and blesses it, he's, he's acknowledging the source of the food. He's acknowledging this comes from the hand of God. But it also points to the source of the miraculous event that's getting ready to happen. Now that word bless, if you'll, if you'll notice there, it's, it, it has the same idea as our English word eulogy, same root. Now if you've ever given a eulogy, you know what that means. It means, it, it means to speak well of. To speak well of. And so Jesus is blessing, He's speaking well of, He's praising the Father. The Bible doesn't record what He said, but it's likely that He gave what was a traditional Jewish blessing, mealtime blessing at the time. And here is the traditional mealtime blessing. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the world, who brings out bread from the earth. And so He breaks the bread, somehow He breaks the fish, and He gives it to the disciples who in turn distribute it to the people. Now I want you to pay close attention. Look at verse 17 again. Because the, the, the wording of verse 17 highlights the extravagant nature of the provision. Now, if you're writing your Bible, you may underline, circle, draw, square around, something, some of these words. First, I want you to notice the word all. This is in fat, it, it's, in, it's in an emphatic position in the sentence. See, this wasn't just a, farce, a partial filling. He wasn't just giving them a snack. It wasn't just the children who got filled. It wasn't just the 5,000 men who got filled. It says that they were all filled. Every single one of them. Every last person was filled. And notice that word too, filled. They were filled. Now we in America, we understand being filled, don't we? Because we, we have such abundance of food that we, many of us, and I mean maybe when you were growing up, depending on... Uh, the, the, the time in history when you were, or maybe your, your family's uh, social, social economic standing, you may have had some, some food scarcity, some food insecurity. But most of us have never had that, at least not in recent years. But for much of the world, for much of history, and even, even now in many places in the world, food is scarce. 
And even places where it's not what you call scarce, it's not what you call abundant either. Now, I've read that back then people never, almost never got full except for during times of feasting or a banquet or something like that. Because they're just, you just didn't have that overabundance of food like we have. They, they, they were never what you call satiated. But I want you to notice that not only did all the people get, get, get some food, it says they were all filled. They were all about to pop. Now, I'm not... Women, too. Women, children, everybody. Because they were all had this. Now, I'm not going to ask you to fess up to this in church. But during Thanksgiving, you may know somebody in your family that will wear sweatpants or will unzip their pants to fit in some more food. Now, I know none of you have done that. But you may have known somebody that maybe even will loosen the drawstring of their sweatpants to have that extra little bit of turkey and dressing. That's what's going on. If they had sweatpants, they'd be loosening the drawstring. As we used to say growing up, they were as full as a tick on a dog's ear. They were full. Their, their bellies went from growling to being gorged. Jesus didn't just meet the need sufficiently. He met it super abundantly. It wasn't they got a little snack and said, Okay, well, you know, here, here's a little a couple bites. Hope, hope that tides you over until you can find some, some biscuits and gravy tomorrow morning. It was, you are filled, full, to the top. Everybody. So not only did each person, every person, man, woman, and child, all get some food. They all got full, completely filled up. But I want you to look further at verse 17. The Bible says that they picked up leftovers. Now, I don't know about you, but I like leftovers. I eat a lot of leftovers. And I've seen a lot of leftovers in my day. Maybe it's, and probably you've had this. You have leftovers at home. You have a big meal. Oh, we can't eat all that. Stick it in some Tupperware and put it in the fridge. You go to a potluck at church, and there's more food than, than, than we have people. And, and people are sitting at home. Just take this home. Take it to some family. Just... Don't send it home with me because we can't eat it all. Maybe into a restaurant and they've given you so much food you don't have enough room for it all. And so you take a, you take a, a doggy bag. You, you take a, a to-go box from the restaurant. I've seen all that, but one thing I've never seen is at the end of the meal having more food than when you started. There was more leftovers after they'd eaten than there was food when they started. And I never thought about it in those terms before, but, but just think about it. Jesus worked such a powerful, significant, extraordinary miracle that he not only made a little food for a few people, he not only made a little food for a lot of people, he made a lot of food for a huge crowd so abundantly that the disciples had enough left over for each of them to have a, their own basket full of food. Out of five loaves and two fish, they didn't have that much to begin with for even one of them to have food. I mean, can you imagine those, those of us who have been teenage boys and those of us who have had teenage boys around us and tried to feed them? Just feeding a bunch of boys would have been a miracle. And Jesus filled all these people full. So much so there were leftovers. 
Now, if you've tuned me out, I want you to, to, to wake up and focus in again because what I'm getting ready to say is key. Think about what we've read, chapter 8, Jesus calms the storm. The disciples see it. Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus calms the storm. And the disciples ask, verse 25, They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this? They command even the winds and water, they obey him. Last week we looked at Herod, chapter 9. Herod hears all the stuff that's going on, and here's what he says in verse 9. I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. Then we didn't read it, but if you jump down to verse 20 in your, in your text, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's, he says, But who do, who do you say that I am? Peter said, You are the Christ of God. The Christ of God. So the question's been asked by Herod. The question's been asked by the disciples. Who is this man? Peter answers, verse 20, You are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. And in between... To answer the question, who is this man? He's the Christ. In between is this event that tells us the answer. This event answers the question, who is this man? It reminds me of the account later in Luke. You remember in in Luke 24? It's one of my favorite accounts in Luke. It's after the resurrection. Two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. They're walking along. The resurrected Christ appears to them. The Bible says they're prevented from recognizing who he is. They begin to talk how sad they are because Jesus, the one in whom they put their, their trust and their hope, has been crucified. He's been buried. And now we're getting these reports that he's risen from the dead. And he said he's going to rise from the dead. But we're just real sad. And they go on talking. They, they think this is a stranger. They get to their, their destination. They think Jesus, who they at this point they don't recognize him yet, they think he's going to keep on going. And so... They're exercising Middle Eastern hospitality. They invite him to stay the night and get up and and finish his journey the next day. And the Bible says that they they sit down to eat and Jesus takes the bread. And I want you to notice the the, the terminology, the verbs in both places. Chapter 9, verse 16, we looked at today. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. Luke chapter 24 and verse 30, this incident with the men on the road to Emmaus. He took... He blessed, he broke, and he gave. And the Bible says that those two disciples said that they recognized who he was in the breaking of the bread. And I I see that as kind of the same thing here. The disciples, the apostles, they recognize who Jesus is. You are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. They recognize who he was in this miraculous event of the feeding of the 5,000. You are the Christ of God. Now, we can look at that and say, boy, I'm glad they got it. The question is, do you recognize who he is? Do you recognize him as the Christ of God? Do you see him as the Messiah? Do you see these miraculous things that happened in the Gospels? And say, well, you know, that was really good. He did some really neat tricks. Listen, he's not David Blaine. He's not David Copperfield. He is the Christ of God. He is the Messiah. He is God's anointed. He is the second person of the Trinity. The Bible says they stepped out of glory and into his creation to redeem lost, hell-bound sinners, rebels against God, people who hate God, people who are by nature enemies of God and children of wrath. 
And he does this not because of some goodness that's in us, but, but before the praise of his glorious grace. And the Bible says that he's thrown open wide the gates so that anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And today, even right where you are, and maybe it's even somebody that's, that's, that's watching at a later date online, it doesn't matter where you are, who you are, if you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Right where you are. Will you trust Christ for salvation? He will redeem you. He will save you. He will wash away your sins. You who are once far off, says, the Bible says He will bring near. He'll transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Will you trust Him today? You say, Pastor, I've done that. I did that many years ago. That's great. Will you continue to trust Him in the day-to-day things of life? You know, because many times we have events in our lives that look impossible, and maybe they are humanly impossible. But listen, we don't have a human God. We have a supernatural, almighty, powerful God. And He can make a way where there is no way. He can feed a multitude with a kid's lunchable. He can work in your life, and He can work in mine. Now, I'm not going to say what God will or won't do in any situation, because I don't know the, the mind of God. I don't know the will of God. But I know that whatever he does, there's no limit on his power to act. And maybe, maybe today you, you're facing something in your life, a hill situation, a family situation, a work situation, whatever it is. And, and maybe your, your faith is wavering. Listen, God can do what's humanly impossible. Want to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you, bow your heads and close your eyes. And in the quiet of this time, I just want you to, with nobody looking around, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to turn to Christ in, in whatever way that needs to happen. If it's in kind of the daily grind, the mundane things of life. Maybe it's some event that's coming up. Maybe you have some uh, meeting, some decision that's coming up, and you need God to act. You need his guidance. Trust him in that. Maybe you have something significant. You have that doctor's visit. You have some life decision, you need his guidance, the Bible says. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Maybe you need to turn to him in faith. You've never been saved. You've never repented of your sin. The Bible says, trust Christ. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you that you don't require some big feat to enter the kingdom of God. You don't make us go on a journey. You don't make us uh, make a pilgrimage. We don't have to get our lives all straightened out before we come to you. But we come to you as a sinner, poor and needy and broken. And as the old song says, nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And God, I, I pray that if there's somebody who's within the sound of my voice today that's never accepted Christ as their Savior, God, I pray that you would let them cling to the cross of Christ. Father, for just the daily things that we have in our lives, help us to always be turning to you, to be trusting you, to not try and do it ourselves, to not try and, and um, take on all those responsibilities to make everything work because we're not big enough. We don't have that power, but we know that you do. And God, I pray that you'd help us to uh, trust you in the midst of whatever it is we're going through. And God, we thank you for your goodness that you don't save us and then leave us, but you save us and you work in our lives. You make us more like Christ day by day. God, I, I pray for each person that's here today and ask that you would help them in the ways and the situations that they need. In Jesus' name, amen.